welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. John, welcome to the show. How are you this evening? Well, I'm very well, thank you, Yuri. L- lovely to be here. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And I guess it's it's you know it's in the afternoon where you are, um, <laughs> which is also interesting as well. Yes, it's the, it's the afternoon tomorrow. Yes, that's you. right. I like that. I like that you're you're calling me from the future. <laughs> so. <laughs> we're, we're, we're ahead of times here, yeah. Yes. Um, so for my listeners who are not as familiar with your work, how do you describe yourself and what you do? Well, uh, I would say um, mostly I'm an educator, mm-hmm. uh, a creative educator. And um, I, so I teach people to manage emotions, um, primarily I teach them at work, in the work context. Um, but what my hidden agenda is to teach people about emotions in every aspect of their life mm-hmm. um, because they're the same people who go to work and at home and everywhere else. So I teach people really to manage emotions. Mm-hmm. Oh, excellent. Mm. So let's start from a little bit from the beginning. So you originally went to school for anthropology and then theology. What made yeah. you want to study those? Well, uh, the anthropology... Um, I, when I left school, uh, high school, I was a volunteer in Tonga. Uh, I was teaching uh, basic English and um, math and and science. Mm-hmm. Um, I was an eight. I was 18 years old. I lived with a family. I learned the language. I did just got quite really immersed in in that whole culture. When I came back to New Zealand from there, after one year, I entered the seminary and studied theology. Uh, with the view to being ordained as a priest, which I was eight years later, mm-hmm. it was a good long training period. <laughs> yeah, and is that part of? Is is yeah. it usually eight years in to to train as a as a priest? Well, uh, actually, it's uh, it was seven, and then when I turned up, they changed it to eight. <laughs> that was now, nice. I'm, of them. <laughs> I'm not sure if there was a cause cause and effect there, but um, anyhow, um, it was it was a, the complete way of life right from then. Anyway. Once, once we uh, began that training, yeah, um, we, we were wearing the habit and all kinds of, um, you know, and, and just basically living the life. Mm-hmm. Um, during that time, and when I was ordained, I, I taught for five years and um, was doing part-time study, and that's I was really interested in anthropology and different cultures and how people are different, um, and w- wanted to go back and work in the Pacific actually uh, as a priest. Which I knew, um, well, I only did for a sh- short time during vacation, mm-hmm. um, during the school. But th- those are the, my two big interests at the time was uh, to, you know, the, the particularly Pacific people and, and specifically Tonga, mm-hmm. uh, as well as w- wanting to become a priest. So I did theology. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, great. So, so you, you know, you, you were working in the clergy for a while and then did you, did your career of, ev- 
was it still part of of your your work in with the with the priesthood, or did you uh, a move on to an, another career when you became more interested in uh, emotional intelligence? I think it's more like the latter. I okay. started, um, so I I taught for five years, then um, actually burnt myself out doing that because I was also um, working as a chaplain to the Tongan community in Wellington Mm -hmm. and doing many other things, plus nearly, you know, quite heavy study. Uh, So I shifted to work in a parish um, in another city, and um, then I began, I knew that I needed to do some personal work. And um, this this really, so I started with myself, and then I... um, uh, they were the, the woman I ended up. She was a psychiatrist and a psychodramatist, mm-hmm. and she was running a group uh, for psychodrama. And then said, you know, invited me to come and join this group. And I used to think, uh, particularly when I got into the training, I'm there to help my parishioners, but actually I was the one who needed most help. Mm-hmm. Um, that that uh, that life really had shut me down quite a lot. My I was uh, being less creative mm-hmm. and uh, less flow, and it really wasn't until I started doing that training and my personal work that went with it that I realised it was really about me and mm-hmm. not not about me trying to help other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that process took uh, maybe four or five years um, to to do enough work, and then I realised actually it's time to move. So I had been working by that stage as a priest for about 11 years, and then I said, okay, it's time to leave, right. and um, was able to do that. So what does so what does studying psychodrama and becoming a psychodramatist entail? Well, it it it's a very intense training. Um, there's not mostly people don't learn it in the university, partly because. Um, it's it, it involves much more a, a lot of personal work mm-hmm. and um, skills. So the, the training is all done in groups, and uh, mostly it was kind of weekend groups or even sometimes. In, in fact, I, I did a practicum for ten weeks full time um, at, at one point. Mm-hmm. So you, you you basically do a group and you learn how to how to run the method by practicing on one another mm-hmm. um, and under supervision with, with trainers. And we had some wonderful trainers here in, in Australia and New Zealand. And um, so as you do that, so it took me 10 years to qualify. Mm-hmm. And um, I would have done probably uh, maybe 20 or 30 days training during a year um, when I was really going for it. And in that process, you um, deal with issues from your own life and actually get to resolve them. Um, and then uh, when when you're ready, you, you can take the exam and you do that. And there's a written, um, you have to write a, what we call one number of papers, actually, and then do a practical examination. Mm-hmm. Running a group uh, with the examiner, you run it for about an hour and a half and then you, um, ha- and you stop and have uh, 20 minutes to collect your thoughts and then you go and present your reasoning and the reasons why you did things and what happened. And uh, it's a very, very intense training. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's the best training that I've ever had, that's for sure. Beats all the other degrees. I've got a three degrees <laughs> and various things, you know, but uh, that that's really has set me up yeah. um, to, to work with people 
Yeah, wonderful. So, so with this training, then at uh, you then decided that you wanted to write a, a book called Thriving Under Fire. What made you want to be an author, and and what is your book about? Right. Well, um, after I need to, there's a there's a that's a big a bit of a jump. <laughs> once once I qualified sure. as a psychodramatist, I got a job. Uh, and worked for about five years in a drug and alcohol rehabilitation mm, okay. play, uh, hospital. Then when that started uh, closing down, it's unfortunately now completely closed um, through lack of funding. Then I started up my business training people to, to manage emotions in the workplace. And I came to that okay. um, after a couple of years. But what it's an interesting thing really about writing a book because I'm an extrovert. I just, you know, sitting down and writing is the last thing on my mind. Um, and uh, in fact, even when I was at high school, I wasn't particularly good at English. But over the years, I've, I've taught myself to write. And um, uh, so I was writing blogs and, and things like that. But um, really, you know, I, I realized that this message needed to get out. And it, it was one of those things I was, it, it was in me. And people talk about this, you know, there's a book in you and they say there's a book in everybody or several books, really. Mm -hmm. But this one was ready to hatch. And so I, um, I, I was part of the National Speakers Association, which um, was, was also connected in the US, um, that, that organization. And they do a lot of coaching on how to write a book and hmm. uh, how, to, how to get these things out there. And I'd listen to lots of particularly uh, podcasts or, or more, back then they were, um, you know, magazines delivered on uh, CD discs. Mm -hmm. um, but <laughs> listen to a lot of these speakers who were saying, this is how to do it and this is how I did it and how you can do it. Um, and I was reading a lot myself. So what I did with my book, I, I thought, what's the story? What's the vehicle I could get my ideas out there with? And um, the name of my business is Thriving Under Fire, tough. Mm -hmm. And at first I was thinking um, to use a, a military analogy. And uh, apart from the fact that I'm more of a pacifist than anything, and uh, um, uh, I just thought, no, that wouldn't really resonate, particularly wouldn't resonate with women um, so much. And so I came up with this idea of uh, setting a story in a cafe, and um, so, so each day I go and this is a hard case lady who runs the cafe and she's actually under a lot of pressure and wanting to expand it into a restaurant. And over uh, two or three weeks, I go in there each day because I'm working in that town and um, we have, you know, something happens and that gives me the opportunity to teach mm -hmm. her um, something, you know, some print, one of the principles of, of my program. And it was a lot of fun. And I actually wrote it on holiday. Hmm. Um, I'd get up early in the morning and uh, um, have a chapter in mind. I had, had it all planned out, what, what chapters I'd cover. And each day I got up and um, at five or six o'clock in the morning and just wrote for, for a couple of hours. And um, after two, two weeks or, or so, I had the whole thing, the, the bones of it written. Mm -hmm. Um, and um, fortunately, my family—they all slept in at that time, so so I had the <laughs> peace and quiet of this very little holiday house to myself. And uh, it was it was a wonderful experience writing. I I've, I'd 
felt like I was a writer when I did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was still plenty of work to be done on it, of course, and I had a good editor and um, and a wonderful publisher um, that, who helped me a lot and uh, turned it into a really good piece of work. Wonderful. So that's how my book came about. Sure, yeah. <laughs> sure. And, and, I, and I apologize. I know we skipped over, you're right, the start of your, your business, um, mm. which is around, again, the same title as your book. So what was it about wanting to help, uh, again, people with emotional intelligence that made you want to start this particular company? Um, I, well, I've always I've always wanted to help people. That's that's why I went uh, and worked in Tonga as a volunteer. That's why I became a priest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so th- this is something that is very natural to me to do that. Um, but I and I just used to see so many people getting into difficulties, into relationship difficulties, because they didn't know how to manage emotions and. I, I particularly learned this at the, in work, working at the hospital, um, where patients would come to the group, they'd be assigned, told to come to the psychodrama group and deal with some issues from, from their childhood that were triggering their drinking and drugging. Mm-hmm. And when they first uh, presented and they'd stand up in the group and say, oh, I've been told to come, I'm going to do this, they would get very emotional and quite often it was too much for them and they would storm out of the room and slam the door and, do things like that. And what I worked out after several months there um, is that in that moment, what I did next made all the difference as to whether they would storm out and shut, slam the door or whether they would calm down and do the work they were meant to do. And when I realized and started seeing that everywhere in life, not just in the hospital, uh, then I, I knew that I could teach this to people. Mm-hmm. And and uh, it's a, at one level it's very simple, uh, another level it's quite difficult to do. So it's it's both simple and difficult. <laughs> Excellent, as, as most most things are. Is there yeah. is there yeah. a, and and again I, I know that you have some more courses that really develop and dive deep into this. But mm. uh, for the listeners, is there um, a couple of just ideas that you can can give them about how to kind of calm down in the moment and, and not be overcome by emotions? Yeah, sure there is. And, uh, I, I mean, I love to share this because it's, it's a, you know, it's um, so important. The more people get it. But in that moment, when somebody else is upset, mm-hmm. they might be, uh, you know, swearing and shouting or, or just even be very coldly, um, you know, negative towards you, whatever it is, you end up reacting Mm-hmm. And um, it's almost, you know, it's contagious. You can't almost, you can't help it actually. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the amygdala part of the brain. Mm-hmm. The, this is uh, in, in the limbic system or the mammalian brain. This is the defense mechanism, or it's it's the security center really, and it activates when um, there's you, you get this idea you might be under attack from the other person, and that attack can appear, um, or you know, just by somebody looking at you. Or it might be that they're actually saying something and shouting and doing that. So you want to be able to calm the amygdala because when the Daniel Goldman, who wrote the book Emotional Intelligence, he calls this the amygdala hijack of the brain. Hmm. When the amygdala gets overactive, it, it takes away all the blood, if you, if you like to simplify it, the blood from the frontal cortex or the thinking part of the brain, and so and and becomes overactive and hijacks the rational brain. 
Okay. And so um, people literally, in this moment, you do become irrational to some degree or other. Uh, it doesn't help to tell people that they're irrational, by the way. It just <laughs> makes, makes them more upset. But right. if you can notice that this is what's happening for you, um, so uh, and and that you're not sure what to say. So this is where people start stuttering and going, oh, I don't know what to say. You can't think what to say. Not not only can't you say it, but you can't think and plan. And and you you also the third part of the rational brain or the, the frontal cortex is um, you can't make good positive relationships with the other person. So those those bits get starved of the oxygen that, that's needed to operate the brain. Mm-hmm. So here's the three things that you can do. First thing is to breathe deeply. When we're under a thinking fight flight, which is what the amygdala activates, you want emergency breath and so your, breath, your breathing is a lot more shallow. But this is not about having a fight. Um, you know, if somebody is going to attack you with a knife or something, you do want to run away, so you need that. You do need to f- fight or flee, you know. But for most things, when just when people there's emotions present, you're not going to get hurt. So breathe deeply from the belly. That's the first thing. Secondly, and this is probably one of the, the most um, um, effective thing, is to name your feelings to yourself. And so that's just might be saying, I am scared, I'm worried, I'm anxious, um, I'm terrified. You know, um, these these saying this will um, actually help you own the feelings yourself. It'll also activate the language center of the brain, and uh, it ha- has quite an impact on calming you down. And the third thing you can do is ask yourself a complex question. Now you don't want to do this in a way, you know, like not the square root of 972. That's far too complex. It would probably freeze your brain. Mm. But what you can do is I just say, I wonder what else might be affecting this person. Because even if you've made a mistake and they're accusing you or attacking you because of that, it's usually disproportionate. And there'll be a whole lot of other things going on in their life that affect them. And if you can start thinking like that, you will end up um, that that will also get your brain acting in a more rational way. So that's the way to to do that, okay. to change the way you, your own brain's functioning. And with the other person, here's here's a bonus. Now, so I gave you three things you can do, <laughs> <laughs> and um, instead of six steak knives that you're going to get, mm-hmm. I'll give you this bonus, and that is <laughs> to um, <laughs> to say to the other, to just somehow to acknowledge what the other person is feeling. And um, and you, it, the more directly you can do this, the better. You do it, in a sense, tentatively, but you can mm-hmm. also say, right, you're really worried about what's happened. You know, this has affected you badly. Um, you're under a huge amount of pressure at the moment. Mm-hmm. Something like that will actually, uh, if you know, if that's what you see, whatever it is you see in them, you can name it, n- not in a judgmental way, but in a way that simply acknowledges and accepts them this is what's happening. And yeah. if you try that, it will make a huge difference. I mean, I do cover this a lot in my book, and I've actually got an online program that people can do and learn this even more. Right. But um, just to, you know, just start with this. Try it out and um, see how it works. And if it, if it doesn't work properly and you make, you make a mistake, well, for my, most people have made lots of mistakes already in their lives, so, you know, a few more mistakes won't matter, but uh, you'll, you'll at least be in... The right ballpark, trying it out. 
Right, right. No, I, I, I like that kind of free and easy kind of philosophy of like, you know, it, it's, it doesn't hurt to try. Yeah. When I, yeah. I'm curious then on this, in this moment where you're, let's say, calling out someone else's emotions, is there, like, and maybe you cover this in your book, are there certain words you should use or should avoid using so you don't trigger and make the situation worse? Um, for absolutely. Now, the, the, and the, the the uh, the biggest one yeah. would be I know exactly how you feel. Ah yes, okay. I was th- I was thinking that one and I was like I wasn't sure if that's like definitely one of those no no things you're supposed to say. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, if you're uncertain, try it out anyway and see what sort of response you get. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> that's the be- that's called experiential learning, you know. And somebody yeah. blows you up and says you've got no idea what I'm feeling like. You can go, oh okay, that wasn't quite the right thing to say. Right. Um. I even encourage people not to say, I can see that you are upset. Okay. Because that turns you into more of an observer. Mm -hmm. But um, just kind of almost you enter into their world and say, right, you know, this this is pretty distressing, isn't it? Or even you're pretty distressed. Mm, Okay. Um, That that makes it even a bit sharper. But... um, I mean, I've, I've been, you know, uh, had people push back on me because my tone hasn't been quite right or, um, the words I've used haven't been quite right. But, um, uh, again, that's how I've learned, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, because for sure I've, I've also, you know, not known what to do in my past with people who are highly emotional. Right. And, uh, but it's, it's now that I'm learning this and, and have learned it that I can teach it well. Wonderful. Okay, good. That's good to know. And, and definitely, I know reading your book will help with that as well. What, um, so you mentioned some classes. Tell me more about the classes that you have available. Um, well, I, ru- I run these mostly in New Zealand, although if somebody did want to, um, you know, bring me over to the States to, to run this, I'd be very happy to do it for organization, you know, but, um, what I do though is we, we r- run these as two half days. You know, one day of training is just too much all at once. So um, as it turned out, when I developed this program, it was for a bank, uh, a, a branch in a bank, and they could only do the training after hours. So we did it, um, you know, from five o'clock through to seven or eight o'clock. And uh, I said, well, one session's not long enough. So we do. So I have to go back next week and do it. Mm-hmm. And then from that, I've really developed this and knowing from principles of adult training, so they do four-hour session. I teach some of these principles, get them to practice it, and say, now, between now and next week, try this out as many times as you can. When we come back the following week, there's a real good chance to process this, and um, and then I teach a few more things. Mm-hmm. I also, of course, have um, follow-up, so people get uh, automated emails every month um, to remind them. And... I was doing it, you know, I've done it for 20 years. And out of that, all that experience and the same things were coming up or, you know, very similar. This allowed me to really um, build the the online program that I've got. And that now, um, and people find that very effective uh, if they can't attend the the face-to-face training. Mm -hmm. So um, that's done in um, four, I've got four modules with a total of 15 chapters Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's I've, I've synthesized all that I've learned over these 20 years and put that into this program. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, 
So, John, so you, you've experienced a lot, and you have definitely have done a lot. And with everything that you have done over these years, what would you say has been the best advice that you've ever received? Oh, well, that's a, that's a great question, isn't it? Um, I, the one – well, I've probably heard it from somebody else, but um, I certainly know I gave it to myself. It's the best advice that I've received, and that was when I was about – I was my last year of high school and I thought I wouldn't criticize or judge myself for anything that I've done in the past hmm. that I would simply accept. And I say back then I did what I was, what I thought was best. And, um, that was, that has kept me going, um, particularly through some of the hard times, like it was not easy uh, leaving the priesthood, for instance. Mm-hmm. But I, ref- I did not judge myself. Other people may well have done that, but that was their business. But I didn't judge myself. I said, well, I did the best that I could at the time. That was my best decision. And um, um, so I'll keep loving myself for that, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's a bit to me when I think about it. Um, somebody must have told me, you know, I've picked it up from somewhere. Um, but I don't know who it was, but that's what I've applied, and um, and that's what I do now. Yeah, wonderful. That's actually that's fantastic advice because I know a lot of for a lot of people their past haunts them uh, immensely, and this is it's it's a nice way to um, yeah to at least come to terms with with different times in your past and move on. Yeah, that's right. It's it. Um, and it's not just trying to forget it. It's that I, I can remember these things, but I say, right. well, you know, good on you. And it's it's what I would say to anybody else, you know, who, who if they came to me and said, oh, I feel terrible about what's happened in the past, I would say, well, you want to just love yourself because all of that has led to to where you are now, mm-hmm. you know. And if you if you hadn't made those mistakes, you wouldn't be the wonderful person that you are now. <laughs> That's true. Wonderful. Mm. Well, John, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you and hearing your story. If the listeners would like to uh, get a hold of you or uh, take your classes, see more about what you're working on, where is the best place they can go to do that? Well, um, my website is www.tuf, that is T-U-F, .co.nz. And um, so that's uh, the best, but I also have uh, Facebook which is Thriving Under Fire NZ. I think uh, um, it, it will be in the program notes. I'm sure I've sent you that um, <laughs> yes. that, that link. But um, also I've got, um, I do have um, an e-book, uh, just a short e-book that I'm very happy to share um, for no cost at all. And that's about a power apology, the five steps to a genuine apology and because uh, we all make mistakes, we all get it wrong in, in the way we relate to other people. So right. being able to make a good apology is important. And they can get that from www.tuf.co.nz forward slash URI. And that'll be for your listeners. They can get that um, that uh, ebook, And it's got, got some really good little principles in it. Okay, wonderful. And I again, I will, I will put all of these links in the show notes, including the link to the free ebook, so that listeners can click right through and uh, see what you're working on and, and read this ebook. So this is wonderful. Thank you so much. Lovely. You're most welcome. And it's lovely talking to you. Thank you. Thank you, John. It was an absolute pleasure. Have a good evening. Okay. Goodbye. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Art Podcast. If you liked this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again, and have a great day.